Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. Hustlers. Written and directed by Laureen Scafaria, 2019. found family of women hang up their stripper heels and hatch a scheme to make their wealthy Wall Street clients dance for them. Cassidy, what's your favorite J-Lo film? Go. Wow. Oh, I'm gonna have to chew on that, I think, for a sec. Like, you have to throw one out. Just like, give it a... Enough. Enough. Guess <laughs> <laughs> when enough came out, Cassidy. Oh my god, really? 2002, my favorite <laughs> year <laughs> for film. <laughs> uh, have either of you seen The Cell? Oh, mm. trippy! Good one. Really, really like that. Really one. good. Really like that one. I know everyone out there. Um, the critic review Nethersphere is saying out of sight, but mm. Stacy has a different favorite. Oh, and it's such a good favorite. Such a like good favorite. I'm embarrassed that my favorite's not this one. Go, Stacy. You guys, the best <laughs> Jennifer Lopez film is Selena. Come on, duh! Like, come I on. I could fall in Nailed it. I listened to that song over and over and over and over. Freshman year was Selena time for Stacy. See, yeah, my sisters and I, we would rent that because we never bought movies because then we would stop watching them. Yeah. So we probably rented, or my mother did, uh, from the grocery store, rented. Oh, I loved that. The DVD, it was a DVD at least at this point. The DVD of Selena, a hundred times. hundred. Probably, you know, good old one ninety nine a pop. That's a moolah. The oh. next one that I watched the most would be Anaconda. Oh, oh my gosh. God. Another good one. Right? Great. Yeah. I'm just like such a girl only child. <laughs> but what about Made Manhattan? <laughs> oh, but I, I love The Wedding Planner. Yeah. I own that That's one. That's another I think, era yeah. of Jennifer. Mm-hmm. That was when she got her like honey Rom-com. colored yeah, hair. Yeah, she was yeah. honey colored hair. Like, that was, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was when she was, you know. In a different later phase. high school for I loved me. It. Yeah, yeah, Selena was like too hardcore for me because the ending. I was like too so sad. It was extremely it. sad. But my yeah. sisters and I loved to weep together. So mm. we're constantly looking for films mm. to just lose like our crying. shit over. Wow. My sister Brianna could cry all day long. <laughs> Even if I, if she were here right now, she would, she be, would crying. be crying. She would want to cry, or she was. She would hope she was crying because she'd like it better that way. Like it's just we feel it. It feels so good. It feels so bad. Aww. Selena. You, too soon, Selena. They're wow. remaking it. What? Do you I know have no new? information about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Jeez. <laughs> so get ready for that. <laughs> Can't oh, wait. Oh, man. Jennifer Lopez. Oh, my gosh. But hi, Stacy. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Cassidy. Hello. I know that outside of Jennifer Lopez, which is the yay we all want to say, I'm guessing we can all come up with a different yay. Than than J Lo, because that's obvious. Obvious. So I got my yay. Ooh, go go go! I'm ready, locked and loaded with it. Okay, Mm -hmm. here's my yay. I'm kind of sensitive to like objectifying women lens in my face. You know, like I had a hard time (laughs) with Game of Thrones. I just Mm -hmm. am sensitive to that sort of thing. So this film was amazing because it like the lens this story was told through was a woman's lens stories about women so it was like there was lots of boobs and stuff in the background but the way in which they were depicted was not objectified or like threatening at all it made the women feel like they were my sisters and like like I wanted to know more about them so it kind of like broke down this like slut shamey stereotype I feel like that I mean I'm carrying at least in film especially when it's shot a certain way I think so that's my biggest yeah I just loved how they dealt with women's bodies and 
and the stereotype of being a stripper like it was very like humanizing and I loved that I loved the platonic love story Mm-hmm. and the complete absence of men, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the men yeah. were there, and they were totally in the background, and they sucked. <laughs> and that's something that I didn't really think about throughout the whole film until later. And I was like, wow, that was different. That was very different. There could have easily been some sort of complicated, you know, lover. Like, I guess she did have her her boyfriend, but it was so background noise. Um, so, yeah, their love story between Ramona and destiny. destiny destiny was my fave the female friendship love is like big theme these days it's awesome and i think that my yay well the one i'll choose to share right now is definitely about the execution of the film and how surprised i was and i don't know why i was surprised and i probably still need to spend some time unpacking that but I was startled by the quality of the editing and the sound design, how deeply enmeshed I felt in the nostalgia of the aughts, that 2007-2008 era that I love so much that I'm so easily pulled back into, but not necessarily submerged into very easily. This film did that, and I I really believe it was in the quality of the craft, Uh, not even just the execution of the writing and the cinematographer, but it was the team. I really felt that there was a team behind this, um, championing this this story specifically because of the, the depth that it could go to unexpectedly. So maybe surprise was built in, but I don't really want to let myself off the hook just yet. I want to talk a little bit more about our surprise of oh my god, females doing the damn thing. We all had like dropped jaws for half of the film. We I did. was sitting in the middle in the theater, <laughs> and I kept looking back and forth between <laughs> Stacy and Rochelle because we all had like shit eating grins on yeah. our faces, like jaws dropped. We like, were just trout faced, mouth gaping open. My mouth was dry. At the end of the film. Which speaks directly to our yes and may contribute to a difficulty for some of us finding a comprehensive nay, though maybe not. I think I'll start. I rarely do, but I, I would like to. I'll start with, I think everyone should see this film. Well, except for people who are going to make it like a lascivious venture or a lascivious viewing because then you're just bound to ruin it. Like you were always going to ruin it and you're going to muddy what's being done here. And there's been a bunch of time for that already in the world and in film. So everyone should see it unless you're going to be gross about it. Um, or unless you're going to disrespect women's right to choose how they work. Um, but otherwise I think everyone should see it. It's like a, a nay wrapped in a yay. See what I did there? Gotcha. <laughs> Mine's a nay wrapped in a yay too. <laughs> My nay is that there wasn't more Cardi B. Oh, wow. I wanted more Cardi B. And a raspy laugh. So good. Mm, Me, my turn. Cool. Having a hard time with a nay. I always do. I feel like out of the three of us, I'm like, it was good. (laughs) (laughs) And then by the end of the podcast, it was my favorite movie. It was my favorite movie of all time. (laughs) If you don't see it, you're an idiot. (laughs) What was your other nay? My other nay was like, how? (laughs) They're whispering. My nay, my only nay. It's the only one that I just came up with. And it's the liberties that Hollywood takes with stories like these. I don't want to expand upon that. That's it. Fade away. (laughs) 
Slam dunk. Slam dunked it. <laughs> so where were both of you at in life in 2007? I was a freshman in college. I was like so... <laughs> Baby. I don't know, a freshman in college, do you really need to describe that? Like, who am I? <laughs> How do I do my hair? Studying or partying? I don't know. Like, I hated my freshman year in college, actually. It was, like, probably one of the saddest times of my life. So you were sad 18? Yeah, I was, like, a sad 18, 19-year-old. Yeah, just, like, trying to figure out my stuff and having fun, but, like, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I was working, I think, at Suncoast Video That's at, the, so cool. at the Alderwood Mall. Um, I think I was going to Edmonds Community College. I took my time with community college. I sampled a few different community colleges, landed on Edmonds. Really good school. <laughs> go Edmonds. Um, go Edmonds. Can't remember the mascot. <laughs> um, yeah, I was living the mall retail dream that every person has to sell DVD DVDs for like $35 a piece. I literally can like smell that dream <laughs> right now. Can you smell and that yes, carpet? like that carpet and like the plastic kind of smell, mm. like some popcorn, but like in the distance. Like the, the DVD protective cases yep. that you have to oh, like yeah, scan oh, yeah. a little clip. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like rubbing your back and your belly as you exit the store because they had so much employee theft that you couldn't leave the store unless another employee watched you rub yourself. Check yeah, they had to. You have to lift up your pants to show the tops of your socks. You had to do this. You had to brush your belly and brush your back, and then they had to look in your purse, and then you could leave the store. Because That's why so many employees were stealing from Suncoast Video. I wonder why it went out of business. Oh, also, God. DVDs. But it's not weird. It is. So. I mean, it's that is 2007. That's just yeah. what I was doing in 2007. Was rubbing my belly and my back and lifting up my pants. 2007 is probably when that pirating DVD commercial was created you know that's like oh right yes <laughs> you wouldn't steal a car you wouldn't kill a human don't burn this dvd <laughs> i forgot about that oh. <laughs> what were you doing in 2007 i was feeling 22 oh i was a newly married woman oh wow. with a neck injury oh i didn't know that about <laughs> you <laughs> very different time but yeah, probably not having the average 22-year-old experience. Uh, loving myself some Twilight. I only remember remembered this Twilight piece because of all of the bandage wrap dresses that were so popular back in 2007, 2008 mm. during that time frame. Where, okay, so it's like tight D yes. here and then like ruffles no, no, out it's, from the butt. It's bandages oh, all the way down oh. and the girls mm. were trying them on in Hustlers. Oh, yeah. It's like that I'm, pink yes, dress that yes, Annabelle's yes, wearing. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, and so I, I was looking at those dresses and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, even these tiny details brought me right back to good old 22 Twilight fan fiction writing me who put her Rosalie in this dress. It's just, it was so indicative. And I think that's, you know how I feel about nostalgia. It's delicious. And Rochelle loves it. Rochelle loves it. <laughs> I love it too. Me too. But in this case, uh, nostalgia is also coupled with a uh, based on a true story retelling. Yeah. We've covered a few of these. Uh, the Tale last year. Um, Molly's Game. Yeah, I thought a lot about Molly's Game, actually, which I think element. she might be wearing mm -hmm. one of those fucking dresses I bet she in is. that film. They were so big. I mean, it was around the same time frame, right? Yeah. See, I feel like it was. But in this case, we have a female writer-director 
helming the Hustler project. Whereas Sorkin, we, we had a lot to say about Sorkin's handling of Molly's game and depiction of Molly. Though we loved Chastain's portrayal, um, we, we had a lot to say in that very first podcast that we ever did, Crow Talk. <sighs> That's so cool. And, that was our first one. <laughs> oh, under a blanket. In my bedroom. Oh my God. <laughs> it was in a tent. We sweated. We just like smelled each warm. other's breath for like yeah. <laughs> 40 minutes. It was hot and was there was a lot of background warm. noise. Yeah. I mean, you've listened to it, so you know. So you know already. Mm-hmm. You can't even hear the difference, can you? Can you? Oh God. So what do we think about the handling of true stories in film? How did this, how did this measure up? Well, I did a bit of reading about that because I was really curious, as I'm sure we all were, after the film to see the real Ramona and uh, the real Destiny, which turns out is a bit different than how Hollywood depicted them. And so I fell down a rabbit hole of, I really just focused on Samantha Barbash, who is the real woman that Ramona is based on. Um and how she was not impressed with the film, though she re- liked Jennifer Lopez. But she's also threatened legal action against oh them and Jennifer Lopez personally. Um, and she said that they did not portray her correctly at all, even though she denied wanting to be involved in the film. So I don't know. It's messy. Man, that's so tricky. I'm like, is she just doing it because she is Samantha Barbash? And she's like, there's money here. Give it to me. Right. I mean, she's writing a book now. I mean, mm. it's. I think it's pretty transparent. And I think she's been transparent about how she's like, yeah, this is my chance to get the story told right, according to her, which this movie was not according to her. Well, it's very different. I watched an ABC 2020 episode about it. <laughs> Love ABC 2020. (laughs) Shout out. I feel like I've done this before. ABC 2020. Anyway. Um, And yeah, the unfolding of the events is much, much different in the actual case. But I feel like... How so? uh, Just the way in which it unfolded, like the man that was victimized and initially like led the FBI to them um, wasn't such like a tragic case. Or at least ABC 2020. (laughs) I can't say that enough. ABC 2020 didn't touch (laughs) on that portion of his life um and i feel like just the relationship generally with the club and it it was much tighter knit the whole time was my impression you know it wasn't this like they stepped away for a long period of time and then like came back to the club um with this grand idea like i believe that samantha barbash was already involved in the marketing there and was already doing this like fishing activity that then she brought and that's a legal activity in New York like many strip clubs do this um so I could see like there is a a difference and I mean in my mind it's nothing that um made me dislike the movie in any way or anything I guess I just didn't really care even though I took Stacey's name about the liberties that Hollywood takes which we should probably expand on Stace like what you actually meant there I'm not sure what my name is people okay you caught me (laughs) (laughs) well there is a lot of conflicting Um, articles out there. I read the original article from 2015 published in Vulture that allegedly the script is based on, and it is the movie. It's like reading a synopsis of the film, which the director, Laureen, said inspired her to write this film. Um, So it's clearly based uh, on Rosalind Keough, uh, Destiny's 
character. It's based on her account, um, which she, in the article, it's clear she can't be trusted. She says so herself. She says she's a liar. So like everything is not very credible and you have two very different accounts of what happened. I wonder how that differs from any other unreliable narrator that we encounter in storytelling, because you're always going to have different, different perspectives, especially from a story that's quote unquote true. So maybe we listen to Samantha, maybe we listen to one of the men and their account who maybe they do think that they're dating these, these women who are actually just doing their job. It is curious too that your yay, Cassidy, really talked about the lens that this film utilized. And I, I do agree. I, I really feel like it centered more from a, a female gaze. And that's probably why we identified so um, holistically and positively with it. But I also felt like there was a, a lens cast that was about the work that was um, not in a clinical way, but that looked at what these women had to deal with day in, day out, the realities of their personal lives, then enmeshed in this environment where they weren't always on top. I really felt the struggle of the work. Yeah. And I haven't, I don't know if I've, I can recall really getting into that in another film before, it's like into that lens, into that perspective, while also feeling really supported as a woman in the positive view of what is often depicted, my favorite word, lasciviously. Maybe it's the fact of Stacy's nay of this like unromantic love between all of the women that were working there, you know, that kind of created that feeling of safety and security for all of us as we were watching because it wasn't women competing against women. It was women mm-hmm. just like co-working together. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> and that was came it. from outside. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was interesting in the episode of ABC 2020 <laughs> that I tuned into. Uh, Cardi B actually worked in a strip club. Um, and sh- she talked about, yeah, just the treatment of women and how hard it is and how many strippers inevitably hate men just because in those environments – you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, the worst sides of that gender present themselves. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, too, to have someone who had actually experienced those things, like, firsthand cast in the film. And Cardi B, like, come on, so amazing. <laughs> but- Ke- Keo mentioned something, Destiny, the person that Destiny is based off of, she mentioned in, in the 2015 article that your perception of men really gets messed up in this line of work because you just see this one image of them and then you just start really despising and resenting men in general. And the way they treat the women in that particular setting as they're their own property and like really there to please them in a different Mm -hmm. way than I think any, you know, average woman that hasn't been in a business Mm -hmm. such as that would identify with maybe, I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. And I could feel that. Like, I mean, I feel that off of like any other strip club, you know, this for some reason, because it did dive so deeply personally into the women's lives, really opened that up. But I mean, and didn't make me hate the men as much in this situation for some reason. But I feel that, but I feel that in other depictions of the strip club world. It just wasn't even about them. Yeah. Like we didn't have time to talk about how they were 
you know, shitty Wall Street guys. Right. The only wonderful man was Usher. Hello. Oh. <laughs> I oh. mean, there was one man and it was Usher. The only man, Usher. <laughs> Usher, we baby. Can, we can put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll come back to you, Usher. Oh, my God. What you were saying about how other films that take place in a strip club, how they haven't accessed whatever feeling it was that we were each having in our own feeling bank while viewing Hustlers. Angelica Jade Bastien for Vulture likens it to a woman in full control of her body and the story it tells. She's attributing that to J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez's performance, her commanding ability to to move through every scene with all eyes on her, even if she's not moving. She's still fluid. But that, I believe, could be attributed to each of these characters at a certain point in the film. Maybe Destiny, character played by Constance Wu, didn't have that commanding bodily force and connectivity at the beginning. But through her relationship with Ramona... She began to develop that. And I think that for me, that is how the difference began to percolate, especially in relationship to the men in the film and in the past films that I viewed, because so often when not told from this commanding body force perspective, women are just seen as weak or put upon or vulnerable, even when it's like a powerful story. That's my, I think that's been my experience in viewing films specifically in any type of exotic or sex trade. Yeah. And this film really annihilates that trope from the first scene that we get oh with those two when she welcomes welcomes Destiny into her fur cave. Ramona <laughs> like made me feel inspired. I, I was mean, like, I could be a stripper now. Thank you, Ramona, for the confidence and but, the warm up in the fur coat. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like it was powerful because... That setup we've seen so many times. We've seen that setup so many times before. This larger than life person, and then the youngling aspiring, uh, coming coming up into who she's going to become. Coming up, and she has to like prove herself. And there's none of that. She's like, no, here's my fur coat. Let me envelop you and love you from the very first moment. That's so powerful. Yeah, I've. When I watched the trailer going into the film, I was super underwhelmed. Just like, okay, I think I'm really tired of the like larger than life woman depiction lately, Um, especially when it comes to. And I guess in the trailer, I gleaned it was more of like an action packed movie than I mean, it was action packed, but in a different way. Um, And so I guess I was affiliating it with like the spy who dumped me or like some like powerful Mm -hmm. woman that's dropped in this like vulnerable vulnerable position but then happens to um prevail <laughs> or like a formula that we've seen before that like i'm just so sick women. of it yeah just like oh uh, i don't even know if i'm like describing that you are, accurately you are i think it's something to do with the fact that this story revolves around love and it's not love that has to be earned it's love that's freely given it's love between these women that has already been paid for the sweat that they've put into this industry just to provide for their children, just to provide for themselves. It's it's already understood. It's super intuitive. And I think that is something that I really walked away from in this film, feeling the intuitive nature 
of storytelling at work because everything isn't spelled out. Every single moment isn't like you don't dive into every single moment. We get so little of the background information from men. I found it curious. So I went digging. Yes. Yes. Because I was wondering if other viewers are comfortable with a crime film that centers on these types of relationships that prioritizes women completely. Are they comfortable with these types of films? And you know what? I think some people are. But inherently, some people are not. One critic, Richard Brody for The New Yorker, I was reading an article that he wrote just a few days ago, uh, complains that the interactions with men aren't explained in detail enough in this film. <laughs> oh, no. He gives a couple of prime examples. It was really helpful for him to dig in because I wanted to get behind, I wanted to understand what he was talking about because I, I could see that. I was like, oh, that was intuitive. I just naturally understood what was happening. Oh, but Richard didn't. So... A prime example from Richard is Ramona's offhanded explanation of the different types of regulars that that destiny might in encounter while, after she's taken her under her wing and she's pointing out the different types, the different levels of Wall Street guys, right? Uh, specifically like Chuck um, or the one, the regular who pays for her Manhattan apartment, even though he, she's never been anywhere near his cock, right? What does that mean? Oh, well, it means that she's got him wrapped around her little finger, that it's not about sex in their exchange. That's just a given, but not, not to Richard Brody. He wanted that unpacked. He says that that should have been an entire movie of its own. <laughs> oh, Richard. But then he also <laughs> says the same thing about Destiny's relationship with Stephen, the man who buys her the computer, that it was such a fast forward. They have that one conversation about a computer, and then you know we see her with probably, I think it was like a new, like a MacBook a really nice computer in the back. And he wanted to see that completely explained. He thought that that relationship deserved like a deep dive. But I, I feel like we've seen the the man buys a stripper heart of gold story. Is that yeah, is when that, he's at home with his wife and like hiding it from her? And or, like, or you even know, the single like, man. Is this pretty or woman? A single man, yeah. Do we need that? Do we need that again? But this this critic really wanted to see more men. Well, he, yeah, he wanted it. It wasn't about him. And that made him sad. Yeah, I always like get really fiery about this sort of thing. So I'm going to try to not be too harsh on Richard because that's fine, Whatever, Richard. Richard. Like, have your perspective. But yeah, this you missed the point. This then, film's yeah. not about you. And it's not about those men. And in those depictions, that was just a coworker quickly debriefing another coworker on the lay of the land. Have you ever worked in college or anything? Well, and also coworkers? they have no emotional attachment to these men. That's the point. That's maybe it. That's where he's is, like feeling the yeah, feelings. There's no commitment to these people. They're at work. And this is not a relationship. And, and it's reciprocal. The, and the story that we've been brought up on is that the man is that player. The man is I the mean. one in control, stringing along many, many women, having oh. them falling at, you know, whatever move he's doing. Like Mad Men is a prime example. That idea of like these high rolling Wall Street guys that have like five mistresses on the side. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that's ye age old tale of our generation, you know, give or take a couple of decades, but still like they and this completely reverses for it. each other. Yeah, but this is like completely the opposite of that, where it's like here's like tiny snippets of information about these male individuals. The film's about the women. I don't know how else to like discuss this anymore when it comes to male critics. I'm like, okay, you didn't get it, I guess. And it's you exhausting. just didn't get it. And But the exposure piece, we've been exposed to the films you've been just describing now, Cassidy, for our whole lives. And so when they cut away or when they belittle the interaction with the woman because she's not the point to them. 
we can fill in the blanks intuitively. We understand. Because of the exposure factor, I'm wondering. But I can fill in these blanks even though I've not been exposed to this type of storytelling necessarily before. Definitely not in a crime package. I can I can elucidate what happens here and what happens there and what could potentially be said and where the power lies. I can I can figure that out. I don't need it spelled out for me because it feels like basics. And, and what's the point? Like it's boring. Who wants to know about the dude that bought her the laptop? Like well, it doesn't have any impact I, on does. the story. Richard does. Richard wants to <laughs> Sorry, know. Richard. Richard wants to know how they divided up the money. He wanted to go into the specifics of how they divided up the money because he thought it would pull out sexual, the psychological ramifications of the sexual side of what they were doing. He also thought that they were involved in a prostitution ring. So, you know, I got to the end of the article and I'm wondering how closely Mr. Brody really paid attention to the film because, yeah, there was prostitution going on at the club uh, when they returned, when Destiny returned, and that's where we get her psychologically unpacking the sexual experiences that she had she did not want to have. She got 60 bucks for instead of $300 for. We got to see that, but it wasn't spelled out. We weren't given this huge monologue about all the, the repercussions psychologically of this experience on her because she was crying, and that's pretty much obvious that it hurt her. And that, that's not what she wanted to be involved in. And again, that's not what Even this... If she, but she could have been involved if she wanted to. That's yeah. all I want to make that clear. But mm-hmm. she didn't. But the, And that's not what this movie is about. Like, again, it's just... It's about, like, the hustle that they were doing. And, I mean, sexual abuse and prostitution, especially when forced upon women, yeah. is atrocious and a huge issue. But not the issue that this particular film was grappling with. I think we can all relate, too, to watching a film where the person you most closely identify with is the victim. Right. Often how women are portrayed. And in this film, the men are the victim. So I can totally empathize with you, Richard, how crummy that must feel. Because sure, yeah, if I were uh, watching a story and the person I most closely identified with has was victimized and probably has more to share, like I can totally get it. I'm sorry you were just now dealing with this. The end. And I, I am fascinated if we are able to step back actually and look at this film through equal eyes because we had already experienced other films that grappled with this lens that depicted women in this respectful way that navigated violence against men. If we had already seen a bunch of those, just as many as the opposite, and we were able to really look and talk about drugging men to steal their money. That's horrifying. Mm-hmm. That's so scary. But we don't have that platform yet. No, we're because, still doing the yeah, work. We're, we're still working hardscaping on it, it here. Back. Yeah. It doesn't take away from the fact that drugging people is never lo- never okay. Right. No matter no matter what, it's just not okay. But at the end of the day, you can't help but identify with these women. And I can't help I'd love to hear Richard's review on like uh, Wolf of Wall Street or a movie like that that right. just like objectifies and is funny. Like it, it objectifies women terribly, totally through the male lens, but is still like in the same kind of sense funny as Hustlers is, I feel, you know, where it is something atrocious that's going on to people 
but the craft of the film makes it like laughable for some reason or I would love to hear what his review would be of a movie like Wolf of Wall Street or and yeah, I think you're right, Rochelle, we don't have enough like case studies necessarily yet for film to even like do a comparison logistically. But I don't know. I'm just so tired <laughs> of men feeling left out for like two years. It's been like two <laughs> yeah. years and like men are so sad and that's just very narrow thinking and men aren't stupid. So yeah. they could get this. Yeah, that's the thing. Intuition this. is not just a woman's quality, a non-binary individual's quality. It's not just born out of suffering or or being repressed. No. It's not. It's it's there. It's there for you to take. And so maybe it's unfair of me to expect for everyone who's been catered to to be able to lock in and apply those same principles to film that's not inherently about them. Maybe that's unrealistic. No, that's just asking people to be responsible. It's not unfair. And I know that there have to be and are because I read those articles too lots of men or people who would normally poo-poo this type of film, not just men, but anyone that are, that are really digging in and they're seeing the depth of this, this film and it's not lost on them and they're not asking for more men and they're looking at it through the lens that it was made from mm -hmm. and respecting that. And I'm loving that. That's great. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. And it's there's that. a lot of those people out there, like they're not all Richards. I'm just so tired and irritated by you, Richard, and a lot of dudes that have your similar mindset. Like I'm just tired. <laughs> but I am also thankful for you, Richard, because you're helping me unpack these questions that I have about other film that are a little more subtle. And I'm wondering why, what I'm getting, what I'm seeing that someone else isn't and why. And it's helping me kind of navigate those questions within myself because I really do think it has something to do with this exposure factor. It's like what we talk mm -hmm. about with humor and this huge argument that recently blew up. Women aren't funny. Are women funny? The whole thing. It's whatever. Booksmart was funny. Just because you're not used to women being funny doesn't mean they're not funny. It just means that we have to increase our exposure to other people doing the shit white guys have been doing yeah, for so long. I think that's why I just get so tired because like there's never been other story and like we're white women. So like Seriously. even like what we're saying is Ugh. bullshit. It mm -hmm. is bullshit. You know, mm -hmm. like I'm just... I guess I just I love storytelling because it takes you to a different place and a different time and a different experience than, you know, typically you would have. And how is that so hard for people to grapple with when they're not like the key player? I'm like, the, do you not understand what it means to sit down and watch a movie? <laughs> like you could just videotape your day and sit down at the end of the day and like dig into that if you're so <laughs> concerned about like it being so, you know, about you. About you. Yeah. I loved it. I was so refreshed sitting, watching the screen captured by two incredibly talented women of color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It felt oh my so God. And good. And J-Lo is 50 years old. <laughs> she's older than the woman she's portraying. She looks oh hot as shit. Seriously. I was so inspired by her. Like, oh my God, J-Lo. I don't even know what to say to you. You're incredible. She Blown just away. like... She kind of left my mind, my consciousness there for a minute, you know, in life. What is she in been, life? But I mean, she, what has she done? Been having kids. Oh, right? that's okay. I, I was mean, going to ask professionally she's what kids. she's done. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that's all she's been she doing, but so many companies and has so, so much, much. Product. but she's just she's stepped out from all. the like spotlight she's of being mogul. in front of the camera uh, yeah, for a minute. I guess my point is that she's like, she's done it all. Yeah. She like is fabulous. She's a dancer. She's an actor. She's everything. She had a family like... And now she is 
fitter than I am. Like, it's insane. And I don't understand. She, and she just gave the best performance of her entire career. Yeah, she learned how to do Hands that down. for this movie only, too, with the stripping. And she said it was, like, the hardest as anything she's ever tried to do. Like, she had, like, stripping poles, I think, installed in her living room. Yeah. I don't know. This is me doing, like, Instagram sleuthing. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she has, like, a couple of stripper poles in her living room that she's just, like, practicing with all the time. There's already Oscar buzz. What do we think about yeah. that for her performance? I mean, I was very enamored with both of them. Same. I, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna knock J Lo getting an Oscar. I I feel like I was more drawn to Constance Wu's performance, mm-hmm. and I may have just been fascinated by her because of her character she played in Crazy Rich Asians was so conservative and <laughs> so like different. a bit withdrawn, mm-hmm. and so and I mean there was still like hints of that, not withdrawn, but you know, kind of quiet and understated sometimes in comparison with Ramona, especially, but uh. Yeah, I mean, she kind of stole, well, yeah, they equally stole the show for me, but I think I was more mm-hmm. intrigued by her performance. And we just got more, like, it's from her point of view. Yeah. Um, and J-Lo is supposed to be this larger-than-life, kind of untouchable character. So, and, and she, she is, is that. so untouchable, <laughs> yeah. and she's so beautiful. I felt glamored. <laughs> I felt, you know, out of my mind a little bit just watching her. So I can't really tell if that means that, it should be Oscar buzz or that that was an Oscar worthy performance. I don't know. She's just so phenomenal. She's JLo. It was a mind blowing performance. Like go see it in the theater so too. It's something Oscar I recommend. Big. Yeah. It make is. it big in your face. I'm like make that's my the husband best. Go, Cause I want to get his opinion. Oh wait, should we come back around to Usher or should we only leave them with Usher? Usher baby. Usher, Usher baby. baby. Oh my I, God. We Usher were your dreams. Just, <laughs> did they come true? It was, it was, I almost screamed like out I loud. Bloody I murder. can't believe you didn't scream. I'm so surprised I didn't too. But it's like I was very aware of a public setting, even though I was also in no, our little trio world. I normally I don't care. I don't know what happened. I also might have been stunned into silence. I was just was, my mouth was open. I know we already said this, but I'm not exaggerating. My mouth was open the whole time. And he could only reprise the role because that guy don't age either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful humans. What? I mean, that's, I guess, when and you're a celebrity. That's what it happens. was the exact right person. It was. Oh, my God. It literally couldn't have been a better person. No one, person. every woman loves Usher. Oh. I just wish he would have, I told Stacy this, I think, done like one spin. <laughs> one little amazing. Usher spin. You know spin. he did. You know yeah, he Yeah, you know he pole. did on the set, but not even on the pole, but just, you know, like oh, how he can yeah. like spin on his heels. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just goes around and times his arms straight out like Superman. <laughs> takes off <laughs> the jail's on his ankles just like smiling <laughs> gleaming at the camera oh him picking up jennifer lopez at the, oh the very God. end and that slow motion shot and, and her like and bubble yes. butt hanging on his arm was the odds like they captured what it looked and felt like i'm surprised yes. they didn't use any j-lo music like mm. were you were either of you waiting for because she was bit like musically she was big during I that had, time too like, all her singles yeah, from sam goody I was I guess I wasn't even expecting the time warp mm-hmm. that we experienced right. I wasn't and so then every single moment that held me there was just like my own personal life Easter egg it was mm-hmm. it was a gorgeous time travel experience so no I wasn't waiting for her music I also wasn't expecting a Britney dance party oh in the gosh. Escalade showroom, and that blew my mind. That was I loved that. 
already talked oh, about my love fact, for Brittany. Yeah, that was a perfect example of like how well-crafted this film was too. There mm-hmm. were so many cuts like that that were just, it reminded me, like you had mentioned, Stace, not in this podcast, I don't think, but like The Big Short and Vice. Mm-hmm. The craft Adam of this McKay. film reminded me very much of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of critics were were talking Scorsese as well. Some Goodfellas vibes, especially mm. with uh, the editing and the cuts, the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it? Goodfellas recently. Like really long enough. cuts. The opening tracking shot where you start mm-hmm. in the back and work all the way to the mm-hmm. front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get to mm-hmm. see the whole space mm-hmm. um, from dressing room to clientele. Mm-hmm. That is like the same shot. Yeah, it's good fellas. It's uh, it was it was definitely heralded mm. uh, in the. Well, I mean, people were associating the film with that. I think that other people were upset that she was utilizing those shots. Stacy's mind was Sorry, just blown. I'm just like thinking of the story of Goodfellas, and I'm like, oh my gosh, right? It, with, yeah. with they're cooking the drugs. Like, well, just the whole the whole Who thing too. In the Goodfellas, end, Ray Liotta. Um, and men. Robert De Niro. <laughs> mm, um, I feel like it's one I've it's seen about, and forgot about. <laughs> I mean, it's about a rat, essentially. And not that Destiny was a rat, but she did at the end Ugh. end up kind of, you know, taking the deal. And it well, Dawn was really the rat. Yeah, freaking yeah. Dawn. Oh my god! I was really excited to see her though. I was. Janine's She's my same. favorite character. She on plays Handmaid's the Tale, exact so. same. Like Whoa. if Janine was placed in, in two thousand and two in a strip club, <laughs> or in two thousand and seven, sorry, in a strip club. I feel like she could have been that exact mm. same person. And Janine from Handmaid's Tale, like not the actress herself, right. but just right. the character. What do you think the stakes were in this film? If you had to say what the stakes were. I mean, I think the stakes were greed. <laughs> Honestly, like motherhood and then it it turned into greed. Oh, curious. That's what I, mean, I wealth feel. was at stake for sure. Yeah. But I don't even think to call it wealth is accurate, like greed. <laughs> Because these women were making like, like ten grand a night. Well, Destiny said, more. right? She said, "I always thought that there will be a number, or there will mm-hmm. be an amount mm-hmm. when then I could stop, and I'd be satisfied." And that number never came. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's indicative of the time too, right? I mean, even like post crash of the stock market, like even more so because things have been so scary yeah, and so dire and like for so just, many people for so long, such an alternate reality for people used to being wealthy. Right. So I think what was at stake was, yeah, like their ego, which doesn't feel like quite the right word and their children, you know, but I feel like their children was like the first bottom of like the first step of the journey of the reason that they did it. And then I think they got the greed bug and not that that's bad. Like I could see myself, doing the exact same thing but i mean survival it was about survival for sure um but then they ended up becoming similar archetypes to the men they were cheating right um keo likens her experience to the men of wall street and how there is there would never was a number you think there's going to be a number where this is enough and then you get it and then you spend the money and then you need to go back and get it again and you just start resenting that whole cycle. So, but I definitely interpreted I interpreted it more as survival. And there is revenge isn't quite the right word, but there that's mixed in it and that's where it gets complicated and really messed up. And human. And yeah, human. It's yeah, very I feel human. like the greed thing too is just totally human. You mm-hmm. know, it's 
I think that's a cool point, Stace, that I guess Keo made, but thanks mm-hmm. for bringing it up, you know, that they turned into what they hated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they did. Did you, either of you, read about if Samantha and Keo are in contact at all or have been? They are not. They no. are not. Okay. And Samantha claims that they were never that close, like that the whole sisterhood was n- fabricated for Hollywood, that that was never a relationship that she had with any of them. Well, and the the scene outside of the jail where that fantastic scene where they get in each other's faces because Destiny lets Ramona know that she took the deal never happened. It was on text, via text, their communication, apparently, based on what I read. Yeah, man, I don't know if I care about the mishandling of the facts in this story, just as far as like the story and the film, you know, I mean, I can understand Samantha being pissed off, but if you're not going to like get involved in the rights of helping write the film, it's a huge, huge risk you take, especially if it's based off of your likeness, you know, Mm -hmm. But yeah, none of that bothers me for some reason. Probably because, because I loved the movie. Well, and the lesson's the same. The lesson's the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good and, point. And this this version gives us healthy, well, healthy female relationships. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and complex ones. It's mm-hmm. not like squeaky clean, you know. But yeah, that's interesting. When before we had done research, I felt like at least the way Hollywood left the story that they would have gotten back in touch. Mm-hmm. But oh, that's probably didn't. what we, we want. They lied to me. Stacy felt like they didn't after seeing the movie before research, post-movie, pre-research. Because mm-hmm. they do leave it on the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Rochelle, what was at stake for you? Was there something that came up for you? Overall, I believe that what ended up being most at stake for me was friendship. Yeah, yeah, love that. I think not because I didn't completely resonate with the greed and the love for high-end luxury items and how they all delighted in that together. But, and oh God, children, that was the, I believe that was the fuel. But I also believe that's part of the bond that brought them to the, the stake of friendship. I mean, yeah, now that you've said that, I feel like that is probably in the depiction of the film, the thing that was the most at stake. Because even at the end, Destiny was so concerned about what Ramona had said about her. Mm-hmm. And Ramona had childhood pictures of herself and of Destiny and then faced them together and kept them with her at all times. You know, I, it's not true. But mm-hmm. if this were a movie that was not based on real events, then we could just do away with this whole based on a true story bullshit and, and just, just be focus, in love with yeah, it. <laughs> just focus on the characters and the choices made by Lorene. Specific intentional decisions to, I believe, push friendship to the forefront. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. even though, again, this isn't like exactly how it went down, I think she handled it responsibly and just, I like stories coming out about females lifting females up and yes, yeah, mm-hmm. getting away from this like bitchy, catty woman against woman, like only pleasing the man or whoever their sexual mm-hmm. object of their desire is like I love that and it's really refreshing and I'm sorry Samantha that it's not like exactly how I'm interested to read your book when it comes out you're probably listening right now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I liked it even as far as it strayed from the truth I'm fine with that mm-hmm. what will we take away 
Friendship is family, like deep family. You choose it. Yeah. Or it chooses you. Mm-hmm. I love that takeaway. I'm definitely taking away the revisionist history, responsible revisionist history that we have here. Um, as far as writing in the love story between those two um, and how that's powerful and how that will affect viewers down the road, you know, we're so suggestible and malleable people. And so I'm happy that we can see a story like this. Um, even if it's not true, like you said, it feels very responsible when I really think about it. Yeah. In that same final scene, Ramona says the world is a strip club. And I thought a lot about the decisions made by these women, by this this found family, and how they were based on experiences, lived experiences, and treatment from our society on the whole. Not just the men who went to the strip club, but all men. And it really made me think of the champagne room of life and how women are constantly in the center just dancing around. And the moment we stop, we have to start fighting. So I'm thankful for this film because it showed fight. And it showed that it doesn't just like fly under the radar for women, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're aware of how we're being treated. Mm -hmm. Women have been fighting to stop dancing in this fucked up champagne room of life. Mm -hmm. And we'll keep fighting. Mm -hmm. As long as filmmakers like this continue to make films like this for us to speak about. We'll all stop dancing together and then like team up like a team of lady hustlers. Like I thought that was cool too. They said they all joined forces to become more powerful than they ever could have been as dancers. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Take that power back. This has been a Talking to Crows production. 